as we uh, turn our attention to the scriptures uh, for today, I invite you to open your Bibles to Micah chapter 6. Micah is a minor prophet, not unimportant, but honestly just shorter book. And so it might be a little hard to find. This is one, if you don't know your books of the Bible in order, use the table of contents. But you get Ezekiel and Daniel, and then you get into Hosea and Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Um, so Habakkuk, Zephaniah come afterwards. So find your way to Micah chapter 6. And it just worked out really well um, that Micah 6, 8 is a favorite verse of the potters. And we're baptizing Micah today. And here we are in Micah chapter 6. Uh, because in planning out the sermon series, we kind of left this week um, not knowing if for sure if uh, Dr. McDonald, who preached last week, yeah, would she want to preach on the Apostles' Creed or as a guest, she had the flexibility to do her own thing. Well, she's a theologian, so she loved the idea of preaching on the Creed. So this leaves us with just one word left in the Creed today, which is amen. Amen being the last word that we say after we recite our doctrine, after we say what it is that we believe. Now, we say amen at the end of our prayers. Jesus often would begin his sentences with amen. And so if you go back through, not right now, because, you know, find Micah chapter 6, but if we remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus often starts with this formula of saying, truly, truly I say to you. That word is amen. Amen, amen, I say to you, meaning true, truly, mark my words, this is important, pay attention, lean in for this, because you're going to want to hear what's about to be said. That's Jesus saying, amen, 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 this is true. We end our prayers and our reciting of the creeds with amen, because what we are saying is we commit this to be true before God. In our prayers, we are praying and saying, amen, let it be true. We, we hope that this comes to pass. And also knowing that we are sometimes often are praying about things. We don't know every single detail about what we're praying about. But we ask God to sort it out on the throne where he has come to judge the living and the dead. And here's our prayers. So when you say amen at the end of a prayer, remember that you're saying to God, may this be true. You know the rest of the story of what's going on. You know the thoughts and intentions of my heart. You know what I'm hoping for. Truly, amen, let it be so. So hear that word and know that in Christian doctrine, though, saying amen is not the end of action. It, in some ways, amen is the beginning. We say the Apostles' Creed. We say amen at the end. We say this is what we believe to be true. Amen. But then we don't just stop. We live out of that doctrine of knowing who Christ is and what God has done for us, that we say amen at the end of the creed, and then we go into the world to live out our faith, to live into what God has done for us and to make it known. And so amen is the end of the prayer, and it's also its own beginning. So before we read God's word, as we go to Micah 6, um, for one of those funnel points of, well, what does it look like then to say amen at the end of the creed? How then shall we live? But before we read God's word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
And so, Lord, may it be so today that you show us the ways in which we can walk in your truth, that you give light to the darkness in the world and even in our own hearts, that you illumine the scriptures to us, that you light them up, that we see them with fresh eyes today with your holy light. Lord, speak your word into our hearts that we may live into the hope and promise that you have for us. And with this we say, Amen. May it be true. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. At the end of this, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you are grateful, I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's almost this overkill statement that Micah's making about 10,000 rivers of oil. Is that what God wants? We're getting into the territory of the most magnificent, over-the-top amounts of gifts. And it's, it's kind of a rhetoric of sarcasm to say, is that what God wants? No. Let's funnel it down from all the grandeur and all the big gestures and get back into the territory of the heart and ask, what does God ask of you? What does God instill in you and require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God wants. Not all the show, not all the extras. This is what God wants for our hearts to be changed and from our hearts that that is where the trans transformation in our life comes from. This is our prayer for Micah today too. That there might be some times where maybe he's going to get a little bit sarcastic with Travis and Kim. Maybe in his own way he's already kind of doing that. But ultimately what we want is for a heart that is tuned to God. And it's great to be reading this text today um, with Micah's baptism. And, and today as we think about amen, how do we live into this truth that we have in God's word and in the creed, um, there will be some things that will be maybe more directed to Travis and Kim just because this is a celebratory day for them and for Micah. But I think even as we hear those words that we might push towards them, we're mindful that these are really words for all of us. They're words for all of us to hear and remember. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, starts with God's requirements having to do with acting justly or, or more actively doing justice. And I wonder within this, if you can see, you know, from the back, we've got a set of scales. Often we talk about justice um, as like a set of scales, making things balance. This is a, a imagery from the courtroom. But what I'm more mindful of now is it won't be very long before Travis and Kim will probably have to share with Micah this particularly hard truth. 
life's not fair. At some point, and it might be for something trivial, Travis and Kim are going to have to tell Micah, yeah, sorry, buddy, life's not fair. And it might be because we're not getting the Happy Meal toy that we wanted out of the box. It might be because our friends have cooler stuff. It might be because we don't want to leave. We're having too much fun here. And mom and dad are ruining my day, making me leave. And Travis and Kim, you will echo every parent throughout all of history, sorry, buddy, life's not fair. Life's not always fair. Sometimes it's not fair in our favor, and we don't particularly mind those moments. But we will sometimes say, life's not fair. But here's the challenge that we hold up, knowing that that's just, that's just a phrase of parenting that will just happen. But as we read from Micah chapter 6, as we think about what God wants, the transformation in our hearts that should shape the rest of our lives, we should be careful that saying life's not fair isn't an end in itself that we say, well, life's not fair, moving on. Now, there will be smaller, more trivial things that we just say, life's not fair, it's time to go home, blah, blah, blah. But as we live our life of faith in the world, as Christians who are called to act justly, to do justice, it should not be enough for us to just say, ah, oh, shucks, life's not fair, what a bummer, moving on. No, no. Life's not fair, and there are some things about the injustice and the unfairness of the world that should bother us into action. That we should look at the world and say, the scales are not balanced. Something is off. Something is wrong. And if God has called us with all of the truth of the scriptures summarized in the creeds in mind, amen and amen, if God has called us to act justly, then we should sometimes be bothered into action to say, life's not fair is not the end point. It's not the period at the end of the sentence. It's like the amen that we say, life's not fair. And there are some ways in which the world should be made to be more fair. This is part of our calling in discipleship as Christians is to notice the unfairness in the world, not the trivial things, the big things. As Micah grows, he might notice that some people are treated unfairly. Maybe he'll be someone who will notice bullying as he grows into his school year ages. He will notice when things are unfair in a way that something needs to be done. In employment, we might see unfairness in how people are treated, that there's something wrong, there's something not right. And we are called not just to note it and move on, but to act justly, to do justice. For us to act justly, we need to know what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. We need to know what is just and right so that we can act accordingly, act justly. So first we need to know, which is why we, we quote Jesus in baptism, that we are saying that, he, that when we were given this baptismal formula, it included teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, to know God's understanding of justice and righteousness. And if we know this, that then we can live in such a way that we fulfill the first part of that, act justly, do justice, which we cannot do if we choose to ignore or not see injustice. We are people who are born into a sinful world who are called to see and notice the injustice. And then the prophet Micah instructed God's people, act justly, be bothered into action. 
so you know that there's hungry people in the world, act justly. Sometimes we can't fix everything at the way top, but we can offer food. We can see the unfairness in the world and say, I'm going to be bothered into action to act justly. But I have to know what God's understanding of righteousness and justice is if I'm to do this faithfully. So Micah, act justly. Do justice. As you grow, may you see the world around you for all of its goodness and fairness, and may you be bothered into action by the unfairness and injustice of the world, and that God will equip you to do something in your corner of the world to act justly, to make wrongs right. Act justly is to balance the scales, to make things right and even and equitable and fair and just. Act justly and love mercy. It is inspired that, that as God was inspiring the prophet Micah to speak to Israel, that he gave them this actual conundrum. Do justice, meaning make the scales balanced and even. Make things fair and right. Sometimes there's punishment that has to be offered to make things right. Make the scales right and even. Do justice. Make the scales level. But then the very next line is love mercy. Mercy is not always justice. Because mercy is sparing a deserved punishment. Where mercy is sparing a deserved punishment, grace being unmerited favor that is given, mercy, loving mercy is to say, we know how the scales are balanced. We know that there has to be something offered, a punishment given so that the scales can be rebalanced. But mercy is to say, I know, I know what's been done wrong, but I'm going to tip the scales the other way. Loving mercy does not always look like the heavy hand of justice. And as we think about this kind of paradox between, well, love justice, make the scales even, do justice, but then love mercy is to say, well, sometimes we actually tip the scales a little bit. As we think about Micah, because he's not embarrassed that we're talking about him so much today, he's fine. As we think about Micah, there are going to be those moments where Micah's going to do something wrong. Mike is going to get into mischief. Mike is going to do some, some naughty stuff. And then there will be those moments where Travis and Kim, in their wisdom as parents, as an earthly father and mother, where they're going to say, we need to do justice here. We need to make a consequence that fits the actions so that we learn responsibility. But there will also be those moments of mercy. Moments where out of love and loving mercy, that there is a tenderness of heart to say, I can see it in your eyes that you know what you've done. And so we're not going to punish in a way that would maybe make the crime right. That's where we're getting into the territory of the heart. We say, love mercy. Love mercy. Love being able to also withhold punishment, even when it would be earned and deserved and due. As we think about this lived out with an earthly father and mother, we have to remember where this is grounded in, is God's relationship with us. That, that, of course, the scales of our lives were very unbalanced with our sin, and that there's nothing that we can actually do on our own to make the scales right, that we can't balance the ledger on our own, that our sin is, is too weighty and our righteousness is too light and feathery that we cannot outweigh our sins. We cannot balance the scale on our own. 
And Christ came to do justice for us, to balance the scales for us in a way that we could not do on our own. And this is because Christ loves mercy. Our Savior who said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy is saying, I know the punishment that you deserve, but that's not the punishment I'm going to give you. Where if the scales were just and fair, we would say our actions, our lives, our faults, our shortcomings deserve damnation, but out of God's mercy, we are given salvation as a gift. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we are spared of the punishment we deserve, and this is Christ's mercy overflowing to us out of love. So do justice. Be bothered by the injustice of the world. Be bothered into action, but also love mercy, that we don't get to right every wrong by putting ourselves as judge over the world. For there is only one judge over the world, and the position is already filled and will not be open for all of eternity. Do justice and love mercy. Love the moments where we know that we've gotten through to Micah and that there's not a punishment that really would do anything but to add on to shame. And so we love mercy. And we remember that this is what God has done for us. God has loved us in mercy that he balanced the scales on our own when we couldn't do it ourselves. Do justice and love mercy. And with this in mind, with the knowledge and reminder, with reciting our prayers and our creeds and knowing stories of scripture, the ways in which God has watched out for God's people, knowing that the scales have been balanced for us out of God's righteousness and mercy, that God was the actor of it. This invites humility for us, that we walk humbly before the God who evened the scales for us, that it does not fill us with pride because we didn't balance the scales on our own, but rather in humility we say, thanks be to God who has paid the price, who has balanced the scale for me. And this God did out of mercy, out of grace, and out of love. And so we walk humbly with our God, walking humbly. There's lots of ways in which we can think about living out humility, but of, co of course also be careful what you pray for. If you pray for patience, you'll be put in a situation which will require a lot of patience. If you pray for patience, you'll probably have a traffic jam and a flat tire and a sick kid all in one week. Not saying that patience isn't a virtue we should pray for, but just be careful what you wish for. Praying for humility, well, pray for humility and God might humble you. We don't just evaporate into virtues. Pray for humility, and you might be humbled. But how might we live into humility step by step in a, in a practical way that just our world needs a little bit more of? I would offer this phrase and a counterbalance phrase for it today. There are times where we hear the phrase very proudly, very strongly, I'm just telling it like it is. And maybe someday a defiant teenage Michael might call you out on some stuff and be like, I'm just telling it like it is. Might not even be his words. Be suspicious of grandparents. You never know what they might be feeding into the lives of their children. But that phrase, I'm just telling it like it is, implies omniscience that we know all that there is. We say amen out of humility at the end of our prayers because we don't know everything about every situation we're praying for, but we still pray. Saying, I'm just telling it like it is, 
about, well, I know what they're all about. I'm just sorry. I'm just telling it like it is, implies that we know everything. I would say that's a lack of humility. Rather, as we walk humbly with our God, perhaps our phrase as Christians who walk humbly with God is, I'm calling it as I see it. With my perspective, with what I can see and understand, this is what I offer. And this is why, even in our congregational meeting today, we meet and we elect elders and deacons for a consistory because we believe that it is discerning God's presence is something that should be done with a group, with an assembly, of saying, I'm calling it as I see it. Here's what I can see. And I need others to help me see a fuller picture. None of us by ourselves can tell it like it is because we don't know all there is. We can call it as we see, as we see it. And we can invite others to ask and offer what they see. And this is how we work together. And we call it as we see it together. To do, to act justly. To love mercy. And this is all done in humility. So Micah Potter, as you grow, as you learn to live into this faith that God has given you as a gift, may you act justly. May you be bothered what's wrong with the world in such a way that it will bother you into action. May you love mercy and showing kindness as God has shown great kindness to us. And may you walk humbly, calling it as you see it with the best of your understanding and faithfulness. And may you be surrounded throughout all of life with those who also will walk humbly with God and share their perspective for your own encouragement for your accountability and discipline, and for your understanding of this great God that we serve. What does God require of us, O mortal soul? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God for all the days of our life until Christ shall return and make all things new or call us home to be with him. Amen. Let's pray. God, we say amen as a prayer. A prayer offered in humility that you may be with us, that you may help us to see injustice and to bring your justice, not by our standards, but by yours. That we may see pain in the world and that we may be inspired to show mercy and to love in mercy as you have loved us in your mercy. In all of this, God, keep us humble. Keep us aware and keep us as people who are always growing into the truths that you have given us, into delving deep into them, into wrestling with you, God, just as Jacob wrestled with you. May we wrestle with you in humility that we may seek your truth, that we may seek your best version of what this world can be on earth as it is in heaven. And today we pray that we may walk with this simple idea of a scale in our hearts, that we may be inspired towards justice, towards mercy, and towards humility. Amen.